MasterCard presents a CEO success story. Meet Kai Frazier. She had an idea. Kai founded Kai XR, a VR platform for kids. CEO supported Kai's idea, and now she's able to help kids around the world learn new in-demand tech skills. MasterCard is helping CEO find women-identifying entrepreneurs who are working on the world's to-do list. Come see how you can help her ideas start something priceless at CEO.world. Her ideas start something priceless. As this health pandemic stretches on, seemingly as far into the future as most of us can see, we've all dealt with supply chain hiccups, whether it was the run on toilet paper early on or something else. Probably most of us haven't had to deal with the lack of personal protective equipment that plagued hospitals and doctors and nurses at the start. And it also exposed a gaping hole in Canada's supply chain that Canada Goose, a luxury clothing manufacturer, of all companies helped to fill. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, Danny Reese, chief executive of Canada Goose, talked to me about his company, which was started by his grandfather. Reese said a couple years ago, his company doubled down on Canada as a place to run factories. And now it has eight of them in the country, in Ontario, Quebec, and Manitoba, in addition to overseas operations in Italy, Romania, and Asia. At a time when manufacturing in Canada is scarce, he said his company has turned opening factories here into a core competency, in addition to a hallmark of its branding, which is all about sustainability. And because of the uncertainty caused by the pandemic, Reese compared operating his business recently to operating in the fog. And we spoke a little about what that was like, the market for his products in China and other countries, and what he sees as the probable evolution of global trade. Well, Danny, thanks so much for coming on Down to Business. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Thanks for having me as well. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. So one of the questions I wanted to ask was, your grandfather started this company 60 odd years ago. And until just recently, you sold exclusively through wholesalers, but then started your own flagship stores. And this happened at a time when prevailing wisdom said that the internet is killing bricks and mortar retail. What was the rationale for going into bricks and mortar? Well, for us, you know, it was very important to us and it was becoming more obvious that we had to have relationships directly with our consumers and the direct consumer channel is a very important channel to get into. And so, you know, approximately five or six years ago, we started with an online presence in Canada, which soon expanded to the States. Uh, and then shortly after that, that was followed by some bricks and mortar stores. And there are many companies out there that have hundreds and hundreds of bricks and mortar stores. In our case, you know, today we have 25 stores around the world. We, we look to have stores only in the best, most important and most relevant urban centers around the world uh, and, to, and to have a very strong e-commerce presence to back that up. And, and that's the way our companies to figure now, along with some very important wholesale partners, uh, which uh, is always going to be an important part of our business as well. And uh, I think this shift has been, has been really important for us. And I think it is it's paving the way for what the future of retail is going to look like. Yeah. And when you think about the future of retail, what do you think that it, it, it will be? What do you see? I think the future of retail will be dominated by strong brands, uh, brands who stand up for what's right, brands who do their part to ensure the future for the planet. And I really do think that these days, more than ever before, people are, are placing their trust in brands to, to do just that and to drive change, and, and possibly even more so than governments, who are unable to act at the speed that 
that uh, corporations can hack with. So, you know, I, I, I really see the future of retail being dominated by real brands and standing for real change and therefore a better future. Yeah. Very often we hear that it's cheaper to operate in a country with fewer labor restrictions, fewer environmental restrictions. You seem to have said, we're going to do the opposite and people will pay more for it. Canada, we're going to make our products in Canada, Italy, Romania. I guess you do some work in Asia too. How how difficult has it been to put your operations in what's considered a high cost jurisdiction? I mean, mainly Canada for us is, is, a, is a core belief and value that we hold. It's something that I think is inseparable from the product itself in the same way that you know, a Swiss watch or the country where it's made is inseparable from the product itself. I think that, you know, it adds to the, it is the authenticity that we are. So, you know, in terms of it being difficult to be made in Canada, I think that it's actually something which enhances our brand. And, you know, it was a decision we made a long, you know, long time ago, 20 years ago, we decided, you know, we're, we're facing a bit of a crossroads. Should we offshore like everyone else or should we stay made in Canada? And we, we decided to double down on made in Canada. We decided that as people were leaving, you know, we were going to stay and that in time, people in Canada especially will come to understand that things made in Canada do have that kind of value. And I think that's what's happened. And so today we have eight factories in Canada, uh, manufacturing all of our downfield products here. And we're, we're committed to making our products in, in the best environment and, and the, in the right place to make the best in, a best-in-class product. And when it comes to downfield jackets, Canada is that place for us. Does it, is it getting more challenging to continue doing that? I mean, you went public, presumably to grow and scale. Does it get more challenging as you have to add more and more production capacity? I think that we have built a infrastructure where building factories has become a core competency. So while objectively building a factory and, 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 and training people, which we do a lot of, is not an easy thing to do. It's something that we've become very good at and it is one of our core competencies. Yeah, interesting. So one of the interesting things I think about the fact that you are manufacturing in Canada is that now we're in the middle of a pandemic and earlier this year, you guys pivoted to making PPE. And I'm wondering what it says about our supply chain that we are relying on a clothing manufacturer to make personal protective equipment and medical equipment. I mean, for, for us, as soon as the, it became obvious that the pandemic was was indeed going global and that it was going to affect North America and Europe in the same way it had earlier affected China and it continues to, I think that you know, we immediately made a decision to pivot to make PPE to support uh, local hospitals. And then subsequent to that, we answered the government's call for, for Canadian manufacturers to manufacture PPE for them. You know, I believe that we are the best positioned uh, apparel manufacturer in Canada to, to do that, given given the size of the manufacturing infrastructure that we've built. And so to me, it was a no-brainer for us to to participate in that. And, you know, we're going to be manufacturing in the neighborhood of 2 million garments, if not more, uh, for the Canadian government. And um, For the foreseeable future. Yeah, for, you know, we're, we have ongoing contracts at the moment. You know, I think for me, it's important. 2020 is a year to do, to, to help, to help our country and to help the world. And we're so, I think that's what 2020 is about. It's about rethinking lots of things and, to, and it's about it's contributing in a positive way. And so, you know, everything that we're providing to Canadian government, we're, we're providing a cost. Uh, this is not a profit center for us. You know, I think that, that 
that they will come when we get back to business as usual and we'll go back to operating our business as usual. And, and of course, our business is still operating and, 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 and I'm, I'm happy with the way it's going as well. But the, from a PPE perspective, I'm just really proud that I know everybody can use it, that we were able to contribute to this effort against this pandemic and uh, you know, really help frontline workers in, in their, you know, in their very difficult jobs that they have. Absolutely. And I think you should be commended for, you know, pitching in to this effort. One of the questions I have, though, it's what you're describing sounds not so much like a business as a, I don't want to say charitable contribution, but but is it also any type of a warning sign or something else about the state of manufacturing in our supply chain? Someone like you would have more of a window into what the, what, what the real issues are in terms of building a supply chain so that we have domestic producers of medical equipment that we can rely on if, if there's another pandemic in the future? For sure. I think it's a great question. And I definitely have some very strong views on it. I mean, I, I think a lot of countries, not only Canada, I think a lot of countries are rethinking their strategies. I think, and I, but I think as it relates to Canada, I think that Canada needs to be able to rely on itself for, for essential items such as PPE in times like this. Because what we learned during this pandemic was that we could not rely on other countries. And it was very difficult to source things. And, you know, I think up until now, we've been sourcing things from other countries because the, the pricing was more economical. Uh, and I think we've realized that when it comes down to essential items, it's not about price, it's about availability. And I think that there, there is a future world where there can exist a hybrid model where there are some things that we, that we allow ourselves to purchase abroad, but there are we also maintain the capabilities in our own country, and you know, we invest in them, the government invests in them to make sure that Canadians have access to uh, this sort of PPE to keep them safe in times like this. Yeah. And are there, I mean, you just mentioned there could be some sort of hybrid world where it's not just about cost, right? Obviously, there's a certain security element to some of these supply chain questions. Sure. Are there any, I mean, are there any policy changes that you see straight ahead that we could make or legislative changes or regulatory changes that will sort of help balance yeah. the, the market-based approach we currently have with the security-based needs we have? For sure. I know the government has put together task forces and is looking at that. And I think that you know, my hope is that the end result of that is that they decide that uh, we need to have a manufacturing base here in Canada that is able to produce these sorts of items on, on a, you know, on, on a regular basis. And I, you know, I, I believe that, I, I believe that that's the future globally too. It's not just Canada. I think around the world, countries are realizing they need to have the ability to make their own stuff. And, and then they can also buy other stuff from other countries. I think, I think that, all countries are looking at their policies at this time. I know Canada is, and I, and I, and I do. I am very hopeful that that the end result will be, you know, a version of like a modified global globalism, uh, where you know everything is not sourced globally. Some things are, and and some things are sourced locally because they're just too essential. 
Yeah, it's a it's one of the more interesting things that this sort of discussion about how the world may change as a result of the pandemic. While we're on the topic of the pandemic, I wanted to ask you, I mean, as a clothing manufacturer, more people are staying home. I don't know. Presumably they don't need jackets as much if they're not going outside as much. H- how do you look at this trend and how has the pandemic affected Canada Goose? Uh, well, I'll break that down into different questions. I mean, I think that how has it affected us category? It's, you know, when it first started, there, it, you know, nobody, and I don't think anybody in business knew what the year would look like. And so one thing that's changed is that the you know, forward visibility doesn't exist anymore. Things that used to be leading indicators of, of, of what's to come are no longer reliable leading indicators. It's almost like operating in the fog. So we had to scenario plan in a, in a, in a very, very wide span kind of way. And we had to actively manage the business so that we're making the right decisions as fast as we possibly can, since we can't rely on these sort of broad indicators. And I think that's how it's affected us. And I think the outcome is, is good. I think it's made us sharper. In terms of the second part, which is the clothing, I think, you know, Canada Goose, we've always thrived in times of crisis and times of, in times of, uh, during recessions and, and economic downturns. We've, we've always done well through them. I, I do believe that in this pandemic, people are going to need more outdoor clothing. And they're going to just, they're going to want to spend more time outside. People are being told to socially distance. And in the winter, it's difficult to do that outside if you don't have a best in class downfill jacket. We fall into that sort of category. Let me pivot to a different topic for a minute, which is that the sales of Canada Goose in China, surprisingly, are, are up. And, and you, I read that you guys have been expanding there. This comes after Canada has had sort of a frosty relationship with China and the arrest of Huawei's Meng Wanzhou. Canada Goose sort of got caught in this diplomatic dispute for a little while there where state media was suggesting that Chinese consumers should boycott Canada Goose. Can you tell me just a little bit about how you view that market and what, what that experience was like? Absolutely. I mean, the Chinese market is, is a great market for us. It's an important one for us. Uh, you know, we've had insights into the Chinese market before we entered China because we would have many Chinese tourists around the world visit our stores and our websites. And so we would understand, we did, we had an understanding of what, of, of the demand for our brand in China and, and the kind of taste and styles that uh, they gravitate towards. And, you know, our experience there has been great. And you know, we entered China. A few years ago, we opened a business unit in Shanghai and Hong Kong, uh, and we, we operate there on the ground. We have sales and marketing teams and retail teams on the ground. Uh, we operate through um, you know, e-commerce, and we have uh, stores. We're actually opening five new stores there this year, uh, wow. which is you know I think is very fortuitous that we're doing that, considering that uh, many of the Chinese tourists would you have predicted that right after the sort of report started coming out that maybe they should boycott Canada Goose, even though you guys had nothing to do with the arrest of Meng Wanzhou? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, I, I honestly think that the uh, geopolitical issues that, that certainly exist between Canada and China and the, and the relationship between the popular people, Chinese yeah. people and Canadian people are two different things, you know, and I, huh. I know that. Canada and China have such close ties that have for so long. There's so many uh, Chinese people living here, going to universities here. There's so many Canadians living in Hong Kong. 
I think that we have a really close relationship. And I think that, you know, certainly there has to be some demanding of the fences at the political level. But at, at, the, at the human level, I don't think that there, there's an issue or there's animosity like that. And I, I am optimistic that there will be a solution that, that, that the government of both Canada and China can agree to. But that has not impacted our business. And I, and I don't, I don't, I'm not overly worried that it will. But on a personal level, what was it like? I mean, did, do you feel comfortable or was there a point in time where you weren't so sure if you felt comfortable traveling to China? Because it, this, this happened, the boycott, I think, sort of reports happened before the pandemic, before the travel. You know, I, I heard about those and they were put out by Chinese state media and I don't think they lasted very long. I think that I know our business in China is, is, is strong and I, and I know that Everything we do is in accordance with Chinese law, and we're very respectful of that. And so I'm, I've, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not concerned about you know the salience of our brand in China or for the safety of our employees in China. Okay, it does sort of raise this other question about foreign markets. And in the news, you hear about Canada signed new trade agreements with various different countries. I'm just sort of curious, as someone who runs a company that sales in these markets, have, have you seen noticeable impacts every time there's a new trade agreement, say, whether it's with the U.S. or, or someone else in recent years? You know, I, first and foremost, I mean, I, I'm an absolute believer in globalization. I believe that, you know, the world today is so intertwined and so interconnected that, it, I, I, you know, people who talk about retreats from, from globalism are, are it's, they're, they're short-sighted and it's almost impossible to un- un- unravel it. And I think it's great that the world is this interconnected. And I think we need to become more interconnected in other ways as well. I, I think that, and, and yeah, I do think that these, these deals have been helpful. I think CETA has been helpful, for example, just to cite one example, uh, you know, the, our free trade agreement with Europe, which has allowed us to be more competitive on certain products that, that maybe we were not able to be as competitive on before. You know, I think the the more trade barriers general in the world that we are allowed or able to uh, get rid of, I think the I think that's better for the world. I just think it has to be done in a fair way, and 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 that's that's what uh, you know every government is trying to do for their country. And obviously, there's different points of view, and, and hopefully through collaboration. This pandemic, you know, leads people to realize that we have to collaborate more and, and and make for a better future for everybody. That's a good point. I mean, it seems, however, that we're going the other way, right? There's all these new trade barriers with the U.S., which nobody, I think, would have predicted. Is this a fear, maybe not even for the business, but just on a personal level, is this something that concerns you? Well, I think there's more extreme events in the world today than there have been for you know, a long time. And that, by extreme events, that includes include environmental events. I do believe that I have faith in humanity and that they will, you know, take the opportunity to play their role in, in, in changing these current inward looking views and embrace more outward looking views uh, and in views that are, that are more for the greater good and not just for, not just nationalistic stuff. And I think that, you know, I'm an optimist, I'm an optimist at heart. That, that, I mean, I wake up and I look, I look at the opportunities, not, not the problems. And I see problems as opportunities. Obviously, we're at a very critical time right now with the U.S. election coming up in a couple of weeks. I think that, you know, I, I, I have a lot of optimism that this, there are much brighter days ahead. Yeah. Sort of related to this, I think. You know, I brought up before that there are cheaper places to operate than some of the 
countries where you're set up. But I, I wonder too, if you see opportunities in developing economies to grow some of your presence in, in, in places that have a, that have garment industries, but maybe don't have the, the cachet say of, of Italy or Romania. Like, do you, do you think consumers will eventually start to see some as having cachet and there'll be an opportunity to build ethical garment and clothing and, and, and fashion industries in these countries? I do know that you know, there's apparel produced all over the world in, in many different countries at many different price points. I think that I think sustainability is a really important issue when it comes to the manufacturing of apparel. And apparel has been identified as one of the most polluting industries. And for for me, you know, my vision is that you know Canada Goose is a leader and becomes a leader in helping to change the apparel industry from a polluting industry into a sustainable industry. And, and so. You know, as you may know, we've released our our sustainable impact strategy, which is we did it for the first time this year, and uh, we intend to track ourselves against that, and we intend we intend to make sure that our supply chain and the way we manufacture our product is sustainable. And, and I personally believe that companies don't do that in a real way and and, they, and make good on 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 the commitments that they that they make. I don't believe that companies like that will be able to be sustainable themselves 20 years from now. I think 20 years from now, you're going to have to, as a company, uh, be good for the world as well. This pandemic has brought to the surface the the urgent need for the world to be sustainable. And, and we knew about it before, uh, but this, is, this has given us a real moment to reflect on that. For sure. So we talked a little just now about your environmental commitments, but you've also said you'll stop using new coyote furs. And I know that the animal rights activists have targeted your company at times. I was wondering if this meant your position towards animal rights um, has softened or changed at all in recent years. Short answer is no. I think, you know, as a large company, any large company is subject to to uh, differing points of view from outside groups and that's just part of being a large public company. I think that, you know, what's important to us is that we we source all of our raw materials in a very ethical and sustainable way and, and that's transparent. We have a first transparency standard which is available for anybody to look at on our website. That said, we, you know, as part of our sustainable impact strategy, we decided that, you know, we wanted to challenge ourselves and the other entrepreneurs in this country and in this world to go and find sources of this material that have that they're that are vintage for lack of a better word and that we can refurbish and reuse and in doing so that would take us a resource which is already sustainable and make it even more sustainable and and that's why it's part of our sustainable impact strategy and i'm i'm personally really excited about it because of the entrepreneurialism that is involved in this in this sort of undertaking and you know we're getting ourselves involved by implementing buyback programs so we're going to be Offering to repurchase and reuse the fur that p- people may have bought on one of our jackets, but the reasons of personal choice have decided not to wear. Uh, so we're going to buy back that fur, uh, and um, and we're also uh, looking to the broader market to find uh, sources and stockpiles of uh, of fur that we can refurbish and and use in a new product. And I think that that that's super exciting for me, and I think that that can be a game changer. It's a fascinating evolution, Danny. I want to thank you so much for coming on to talk to me. Well, thank, no, no, thank Gabe. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. That was Danny Reese, Chief Executive of Canada Goose. Thank you for listening to this episode of Down to Business. And if you've made it this far, consider rating us on your podcast app and sharing it with a friend. 
Thanks also to the incredible team behind Down to Business, including Bryce Hall on music and production, Yadula Hussein on editing, and Pamela Heaven and Victoria Wells for web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.